Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hello, friends, and welcome to the season finale of the Bleed Los Podcast. This week's podcast, we are joined by LA Times reporter Jorge Castillo and MLB.com reporter Juan Turibio. Both are on the Daily Dodgers beat. So what better way to end the season but having the guys that are on the beat every day, all day, every day, seeing all the things except what's going on in the clubhouse because they can't go in because of COVID. So we uh, break down all things as to how we got uh, to this point where we are no longer in the postseason. Uh, and by we, I mean the Los Angeles Dodgers. I don't play. But uh, we, we break that down. We go into what's going on in the offseason, and it's a very important offseason, in my opinion, for these Dodgers probably their biggest one in the last decade so this is a huge huge moment we're gonna break it all down and again <clears throat> joined by two of the best in the game two of the uh, uh the, the most well-sourced guys in the game as well so it works out great uh so so this is the actual season finale so whenever this work stoppage business uh stops we will be back have more content for you next year we'll be going in hard it's gonna be a great time but really real quick want to thank each and every one of you that has subscribed and listened to this podcast every single week if it wasn't for you guys we do not have the guests that we have on every week so thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts thank you guys so much because we're just three guys including roger the the baby face gimmick in the sky we're just three guys to hang out at home and do whatever so for you guys to to invite us into your home and listen to us and trust us with the thing thank you so much but on that note here are jorge castillo of the la times Juan Turibio of MLB.com, and one last time this season, our good friend Todd Lights, the Dodgers PA announcer. Take it away, my good friend Todd. Here we are, the Bleed Los Podcast. Hey fans, this is Todd Lights, public address announcer for your world champion Los Angeles Dodgers, and you are listening to the Bleed Lows Podcast with your hosts Alonso and Juan with the baby face gimmick in the sky, Roger. So I know we had said that that last episode was the season finale. Psych, this is the season finale after uh, after the, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers exit and then LCS, but we're joined by uh, by two some of uh, two two of the best that cover the team, in uh, Jorge Castillo and Juan Toribio. Gentlemen, thank you guys for joining us. Yeah. Wow. So let uh, yeah, of for course. Me. Thank thank you guys. Uh, so let's just start right into it. Uh, injuries obviously were were a big factor uh, throughout the season, the whole way through. And in the postseason, they I feel like it affected them way more than it did in the regular season because they just weren't able to weather, you know, the, 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 the injuries. I had said all season long, the injuries that these Dodgers had, any other franchise, it just would have ended their season. But the Dodgers were so rich with depth that, you know, they made it all. They were two wins away from the World Series, and they were still right in it up until the end. Max Scherzer obviously had a dead arm. Max Muncy goes down. I know Juan, and, and this is going to, to Juan first. You talked a little bit on your Dodgers beat uh, breakdown on your on your Twitter uh, about how detrimental that it, that injury was with Max. Just for those uh, that don't really understand how important that injury was, lay out a little bit for us as far as how important that injury was and why it affected the team and why we're here right now. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously he led the team with home, in homers, and then he was the best at bat quality. I think, um, you know, he drew he drew his walks, and it just made the lineup deeper. And uh, I mean, kind of to your point about injuries, like, um, you know, aside from the death, I mean, obviously they're they're pretty rich with money too. Um, but you know, when they lose, you know, in his own way, Trevor Bauer in the middle of the season, you can go and get Max Scherzer. When you lose Max Muncy in October, the last day of the regular season there's nothing you could do. So I think it, the timing of it was the, the tough part for the Dodgers. I mean, Andy Burns, you know, no disrespect to Andy Burns, but he was in the roster for the post in the postseason. Um, if that would, if Max Muncy's injury would have came in July, that wouldn't have been the case. So I think it was just more the timing of it. Um, but yeah, like I said, he led the team in homers. So that bad quality was really good. Uh, and, you know, you can make an argument that he's, you know, a top three player on the, on the team. So uh, that was a tough one, and then obviously Justin Turner mid postseason. That was that little bit too much to overcome. Do you think, kind of towards the end, I feel, I feel like a lot of these guys and you guys were there, but I feel like these guys were more dejected than 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 they were kind of leading on to be. Am I wrong in assuming that? Uh, no, I think that's fair. I think the biggest uh, tell for that was uh, before Game Five in LA when Mookie Betts spoke pregame, and um, he was very just like defeated kind of somber basically saying you know someone kind of assumes I think someone asked him a question assuming that this was like last year down 3-1 on the Braves again in the CS and he was like this isn't similar at all basically this is very different <clears throat> and I asked him why and he was like well, all the injuries Max being down uh, Max Scherzer being down being down a starter uh, for that series uh, it was very telling to me um, I thought that shot kind of showed it right there before game five they won game five because Chris Taylor went off and A.J. Pollock went off, but it was kind of telling right there that this team just kind of was, I don't want to say out of it, that they weren't trying or whatever, but they knew that it was different. You know, um, as Juan said, like losing Muncie and losing Kershaw and losing Turner when they lost them was big because they couldn't go out and fix it. You know, they lost Trevor Bauer and they fixed it. Um, you know, Trey Turner was added to when they realized that Gavin Lux wasn't an everyday second baseman. Um I will say this though, that this, you know, having Andy Burns and Steven Susan, having Steven Susan in that spot in game six, that that's that also shows how you know shallow the depth was on on this roster um going into the season. Um I know Edwin Rios is lost for the year, that didn't help as well. But this team didn't have the depth that it did, the bench depth, the organizational depth at the higher minors, the higher the triple A level that it usually does, you know, Kike wasn't coming off the bed and Jock Peterson or Chris Taylor or AJ Pollock, depending on if Peterson started or whatever. Um, you know, you didn't have a couple of years ago, we had Matt Beatty, Alex Verdugo, Edwin Rios, guys come up and, you know, step up and do big things. This year it was Luke Rayleigh. It was Andy Burns. It was Steven Souza Jr. It was Sheldon Noisy. Um, and I think in the end that, that hurt the team as well. So guys, I mean, you guys were there. Uh, so I want you guys to just drop a bombshell here and tell us what was going on in that locker room, because you guys, I mean, Jorge, you just mentioned it right now that it does seem like they were dejected and it seemed like a different team from last year is something going on behind closed doors that we're not aware of because the decision-making in this series really had me, uh, my head scratching the way they use these pitchers. Um, some of the decisions, in-game decisions that they made. Uh, I know your colleague, Alden Gonzalez, I mean, word for word on his tweet, nailed it. If you have Alex Vasilla warming up in the bullpen in game six, 
to face, you know, to warm up, to face Freeman and to face Rosario and you don't bring him in, then what are you guys doing? It just seemed that even in the giant series and going into this series, the decisions that they were making were out of character. Were there, was there a reason why they were making these decisions? Well, as for the behind the scenes stuff, we, we can't get in the clubhouse. So we don't know what's going on in the clubhouse per se. Um, this isn't like ninth, you know, starting last year, obviously this year, we haven't had access to the, to the clubhouse. So it's hard to speak on what's happening in there. Um, the, only, the only way we can speak to these guys is out and sort of in public on the field. Um, so these guys aren't going to come to us and be like, yeah, man, like this sucks, you know, like in front of other, a billion other reporters and teammates. So um, it's hard to sort of say. Uh, as for the other part, Juan, you can go first if you want. Um, as for the pitching decisions, but I mean, yeah, I think it was, it was a constant. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I just think th th this was made in concert with, you know, in co collaboration with the front office. These guys, and I try to tell people every time, these guys talk. Dave Roberts is often late to post-game Zoom calls because he's talking to the front office for so long after games in May. Like, this is not some, like, new thing that comes up that shows up in October. They talk before every and after every game. Um, the manager in the front office and whoever's representing the front office there on the field there, you know, if it's in Cincinnati, if they're in New York, whatever. Um, and then obviously at home as well. So what happened was here, these guys, man, they, they, they go over every scenario. They, they turn over every rock. I mean, um, that's that decision to have Julio Diaz open game five was made during that off day. It was something that they didn't even think about after, you know, before he made a start earlier in the series, they thought about it when I had that off day. Um, and sometimes, man, you just overthink things. You know, you have a lot of people in the room. You got a day off. You're like, hey, man, why don't we do this? And you're like, oh, okay, let's do it. And, you know, that part didn't hurt them. You know, having Julio Diaz not start that game. But what did hurt them is he only went four innings because Dave Robertson decided to go somewhere else. And then it, speaking to people after that happened, it was Max Scherzer was going to pitch that night the entire – like, that was the plan. He was going to pitch. He was made available. By him, by by Max Scherzer, who said he was available, and by the front office, who said, "Hey, you can use him if you want to." And Dave Roberts used him. Now, where you want to lay the blame, I don't know. It's it, it's kind of convoluted. I don't know how they're on the details on the timeline and how you know how much of a green light there was to use Max Scherzer in that situation. Same thing with Julio Diaz. Julio Diaz did not throw a side session in Atlanta like he was supposed to. He should have for game before game one or before game two for his game four start. But the Dodgers decided not to have him do that. So he'd be available for game one or game two. Game one, the spot never came up. Game two, Dave Roberts decided, hey, I'm going to shoot this bullet right here with Julio up to an eighth inning. Now you can decide and say, hey, Dave, that was a really dumb move. You shouldn't have done that. Just go with what you got. We what got you there. But also, why is Julio Diaz available to begin with? You know, why not just save him for game four? Why even take the chance? You have three good, you have three starters you trust. It's evident that you only trust those three guys to, you know, throw five innings at least. Um, why, why go to that? Well, why stress them out when you have a bullpen that you say is the best bullpen you've ever had. And when I say you, I mean, the collective, you, the team, you know, the front office, the manager. So, um, Hey man, it's, it, it's a collaboration. This isn't just on one guy. This isn't just on, you know, Max Scherzer told them, Hey, I'm ready to go. Max Scherzer said, I'm ready to go for game two in the CS. And he obviously wasn't, uh, Max Scherzer said, Hey, I can't pitch up, you know, game six, you know, it's, it, it's a lot of people involved. Yeah, I think I think with that too, like I think the surprising part for me was when they lost Kershaw, 
Um, I mean, we asked, like, what does this do for Julio? And then, you know, you, you go from four quality starters to three. So for me, the surprising thing was that they kind of, you know, put those three starters, I don't put it in harm's way, but they kind of changed their routine a little bit. Like you, you would think that they would kind of rely on those three guys to guide you. And then by putting some guys in relief, you know, it takes away that strength. I mean, not, not, any, not many teams have the luxury you could throw out Max Scherzer game one and then Walker Buehler game two and then Julio Rios game three. I mean, that's, that's pretty tough. I don't think any, even the Braves who had a pretty good rotation, I guess the Brewers did too, but like, that's, that's your strength. And then you, you turn it over to Trinan, Jansen, Vasia, and all those guys. Um, so there were some interesting decisions for sure. Um, as far as the one in game six, like, I, I actually think like, honestly, it didn't matter who was throwing Eddie Rosario. Like that guy was going to hit a home run no matter who he faced. Uh, like he was, he was just the best hitter on the planet. Like, Would the, you have walked him? Would you have walked him and brought yeah. in this theater pitch that's, to Freeman? That's the thing. You can't walk him because you have an MVP right behind him. Yeah. And, you know, as hot as he is, like, I don't want to face Freddie Freeman with the bases loaded, uh, you know, in the biggest spot of my season. So, you know, as far as that decision, like, I, that one I don't see too much too much into it. Like, I would rather lose with Walker Buehler on the mound than, than Alex Vecilla, as good as Alex Vecilla is. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just a combination. Like Jorge said, like, that was just a, something they decided. Like, Max Scherzer is going to pitch the ninth inning. Uh and I think to me, if you, it, you know, hindsight's 2020, I think the, the mistake was Julio only went four innings in game five. I think if they, I think if they could go back, they put him into the, into the seven. I think that the rough home run kind of like changed things a little bit. Um, and then also kind of a key part in the ninth inning there, uh, in the eighth inning, they had a chance to keep Kenley on the mound. And then Matt Beatty came up with first and third, one out. So they kind of they had to pinch they had to pinch hit there, uh, and that kind of changed their plans a little bit. They're trying to tack on another run. Um, maybe that doesn't come up. Maybe Kenley gets I don't know. Maybe maybe he doesn't get that second inning. Uh, trying and only pitch nine. You know, through nine pitches in that game, could he have gone two innings instead of going with Kenley in the eighth? Um, those are some of the decisions in that game five because you know game five kind of snowball things. Uh, Scherzer, you know, I think I asked him like, is game is pitching game two the one that you regret? Did you do you wish you would have gotten pushed back to game three, get an extra an extra day of rest? Um, and I think that's you know it, it's all hindsight now. Like every now we can kind of look back and say like okay they should have done this this and that. Um, and I guess maybe they should have seen it in hindsight. I like they get paid a lot of money, but like you know it's it's a lot easier said now. Uh, there's just a lot of decisions where maybe they should have just kind of stuck to their strength. Like Jorge said, like you have this elite bullpen, like every guy they threw out there. I mean, they, they, they didn't lose a single bullpen game. Like, their bullpen games were, were the games that they won. Game five, they won. You know, Chris Taylor goes insane. But the bullpen, outside of Joe Kelly, they threw eight scoreless innings. You know, even Evan Phillips was coming in and just throwing this, this slider after slider. Uh, so maybe they should have just stuck to their, to their game plan of going with their three top dogs and then turning it over to that bullpen. But I guess, you know, I guess we'll never know now. Hey, Jorge, your, your colleague Dylan Hernandez wrote a, a piece that was pretty critical of the front office and basically blaming the front office for losing this series. And then you wrote a really uh, good piece about Dave Roberts being a lame duck manager um, next year. Being that this front office works so much with the manager and every decision seems to be made by committee, if they decide by the crazy idea to, to walk away from Dave Roberts, is that just scapegoating Dave Roberts? Because in a sense, they've admitted that 
the front office makes these decisions too. So if they let Dave Roberts go, are they admitting that they messed up? Um, I, I think it's more complicated than that. Like, I think when we say that who's making the decision at the end, at the end of the day, Dave Roberts is making the decision. First of all, um, I think the, the you can prepare him all you want. Um, you can tell him everything you want, pre-game, post-game. You can tell him, hey, this situation comes up. The data says this. Uh, ultimately, Dave Roberts makes the choice. Second of all, I do not think. I mean, Andrew Friedman. I quoted him in the story. Like, it seems like Dave Roberts is going to get a deal. He's going to be here for years to come. If they, if they. If both sides want it, it sounds like the Dodgers side wants it. Dave Roberts side wants it. So it's a matter of negotiating and figuring it out. Um, I do expect him to get some kind of deal and not be a lame duck next year. Um, but it's one of those things, man, where, you know, both sides, both parties are, you know, if you're going to assign blame, it's, you know, you got to assign both. Because before it used to be Dave Roberts, just get all the blame, right? Everything, all the decisions. Now, like, taking Rich Hill out and going to Joe Kelly to face the Howie Hen- like Kendrick when that, like all that stuff, like, yeah, okay. In the past. Um, yeah. You know, it's probably on Dave Roberts. Um, but we don't really know that. That's the problem. The transparency is not quite there in terms of like, you know, we, we're there every day and we talk amongst ourselves. Like you think they did, who did this? Who do you think did this? Who like it's, and we ask questions and like, they don't really want to tell you because, um, I think it's out of fear, right? They're like, yeah, they, no, people don't want to, they want to own it when it goes right, but they don't want right. to own it when it goes wrong. And I think we saw a little bit of like when game five worked out for them, we saw some chest pumping in there and there was no chest pumping after game two or how, when stuff went wrong. So, you know, it's one of those things where I think guys are, it's, I think the line is blurry. There's a gray area for a reason, but this isn't like back in like 20, 15 years ago when the manager made every decision and we knew, Hey, that's, that's on him. The, the front office makes the roster, constructs the roster, and the manager makes every, like, makes the lineup. And even the lineup is not just Dave Roberts, man. Like, people don't understand. Like, Trey Turner was here in third, not because maybe Trey, maybe, maybe Dave wanted him there, or maybe Dave wanted to bump, move him down. We don't know. But we have to keep in mind that every decision is made um, by both, um, you know, in collaboration. Now, um, if they were to scapegoat Dave Roberts, obviously that would look terrible because of what I just said, because we don't know like who's making all these decisions. You can't just like, um, do you think that's a problem? Do you, think, you think you can run a team that way? I mean, they just won a world series last year running it that way. This isn't new. Like, you know, this has been going on for years. It just, I think people are just finding catching on to it. The public guy. And I think frankly, uh, since I've gotten here, I think we've been running it a little more aggressively. Um, I can't speak to what, before I got to Los Angeles, but um, Dylan running when he wrote, I don't think that's really been written before, (laughs) like that aggressively towards like at the front (laughs) office. Um, And I think, so I think that's helping people sort of realize that, Hey, this is a collaborative effort. These guys, I mean, if you read Andy McCullough's piece in athletic, right. Andy, great writer, good guy. He, he wrote that Alex Slater came up with the idea to open, to have Corey Knable open or to have an opener for Julio Diaz. Like, you know, this wasn't Dave Roberts. Oh, look, I got a great idea. Let's do it. No, it was, Alex Slater, most people, fans here in Los Angeles, can't even, you can line up 10 dudes. No, you know, no one's going to know who that guy is. Like, well, so, but that's, that's what I'm saying. As a play, if you're a player in that dugout, I mean, you have respect for Dave Roberts, but don't you sometimes like, who's making the call here? Who am I supposed to talk to? If, like, if Dave's telling me, like, the Trey Turner, you know, switching back and forth, I look, I was convinced they'd say Roberts has gone full of sorta now with his pitching decisions. Because game five, bringing in Scherzer, I mean, Juan, you brought it up. 
I felt it was unnecessary. It felt like hero ball to me. It felt like Kershaw in previous series when you're using Kershaw, when you don't have to use him. But it's maybe what you guys are saying. They didn't. They only trusted a certain number of pitchers. Yeah. Go ahead, Juan. No, no, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think they overthought it. I mean, I, I've been telling people they got too cute, man. Like, I, whatever. Like, you can say whatever you want. You can say it's hindsight's twenty twenty. I thought in the moment, I was like, why is this? I thought Max Scherzer was available for game five and went to extra innings and he needed a guy in, like, the 12th inning or something. And I thought the same thing for Julio. Yes, remember, Juan will remember this. After, before game two, um, we have like we do scrums with the manager almost before almost every game in the postseason just to beat guys, me, Juan, uh, a couple other guys. Um, and they, they got walked off obviously in game one. So I asked Dave Roberts, like, who, who was available? You know, if you guys went to extras and they had Bruce Starr and then somebody else, I think Evan Phillips was available. And then then he was like, oh, we, we had a left hander in there, Julio Diaz. And I was like, oh, okay, Julio was available. Um, Lo and behold, four hours later, it's it's Julio on the mound in the eighth inning because apparently he was available again um, for reasons that I don't I, – I was in the moment texting people, I do not understand this. Why is he in this game right now? Um, and, yeah, you can say, hey, the guy has great demeanor. He has balls. He, he freaking, you know, closed it out last year, CS, the World Series. But, hey, man, this year is different. Things are different. Your bullpen's better. Kenley is not the Kenley he was last year. Blake trying is striking guys out now. Bruce Stars is throwing 103 miles an hour with a cutter. He just he started featuring recently. You have Alex Vesey. You have guys. You have you have guys in that bullpen who are very good. You kept telling us how good your bullpen was. Then why is this dude in here? Save him for game four. Um, but hey, that's what they decided to do again. And they probably have that they have information that we don't have, frankly. So it's hard for us to, you know, sit here and just go crazy on them. And you know, I, I'm not want to do that, but they have information that we don't, but the information that we had, that's, which is what we can work off of. It felt unnecessary. I think both decisions were very, were felt unnecessary. Um, you just leave that to cool the columnist to see, you know, Dylan, right? You leave it up to Dylan to, to come up with the hot yeah, takes. Yeah, they, they can do whatever they want. They, 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 get, they get paid the, the big bucks, but like, you know, it was cool to see, you mentioned the hero ball thing. It was cool to see Max Scherzer close that out on the emotion. And like, they were riding high and blah, blah, blah. But, Hey, man, Dave Roberts said it like 60 times. Um, that stuff comes at a cost, and the cost might have been the, the World Series, to be frank. Yeah, I mean, kind of like what I said before. I mean, you have those three guys, man. Like, you, you just got to go with those three guys as starters and then kind of turn it over to that bullpen. Um, I think that that would have been this, you know, even the opener thing, like in game five, like, okay, you can start an opener, but then Julio goes four innings. Like, why is he only going four innings? I mean, I think that's kind of the thing. You know, Trinan doesn't go multiple innings anytime after the wild card game. And so I think game five, I think he threw two innings. Uh, and, you know, Kenley doesn't go multiple innings. So it's just kind of like, you know, like Corey said, we don't have some information. Maybe they, they couldn't go two innings. Maybe they had something going on that they couldn't go two innings. We, that we don't know. Uh, and I don't think they, they will tell us that. Tell us that. But, you know, I think the Scherzer... The Julio game two was was definitely. I mean, I think we all kind of looked at each other like, okay, like this is getting out of control now. Because like, you, and then, you know, I think I, I I asked post game. I said, okay, so Max Scherzer just came in here and said my arm is dead after pitching four times in twelve days, and then you go ahead and you put in Julio, who's going to pitch game four, and then pitch in, pitch four times in twelve days. So you, you have a guy who told you his arm is dead because he did this. So you're putting another guy at risk in doing that. 
I, I thought that was a little aggressive. I think the, the you know, game five, whatever, hero ball, you could do whatever you want. But I think putting two of your three guys, and then you go Walker, I mean, he pitches on short rest twice. Yeah, I, I, he's never done that before. I mean, you know, obviously he, he came out of it okay, but that's, that could have come at a cost as well. So I think there's a lot of things that snowballed based on those decisions. Yeah, and then something else with Julio is uh... – I mean, the guy's never pitched even close to what he pitched this year. And, you know, the guy has like 120 more innings mm-hmm. at some point before even that last start. Um, the guy never, ever thrown this much. This is a guy who they were protecting, like super, like, you know, being super protective of because of the shoulder surgery he had a couple of years ago. And all of a sudden they're like, yeah, okay, here we go. You know, it's like, it, felt, it was weird. Um, That's why I say hey, I, it feels out of character. Like why? And it's like Juan said. Maybe it's just because they have information that we don't have, but these decisions felt like out of character from what they've done in the past. Yeah, it, it did. Um, I mean, maybe they didn't trust the bullpen as much as they as we think they did. Maybe they thought that, you know, Trident seemed a little hittable. Maybe they thought Kenley was going to give it up at some, I don't know, you know, whatever, whatever the reason. But, hey, man, if they score more runs in games one and game two, then we're not sitting here right now either. So, you know, the offense was – Again, like I just got an email actually from a reader saying like, hey, you keep talking about the pitching and the injuries, but the offense is pretty terrible. And, you know, they're right. They scored, what, two, two, two runs, four runs, like a lot of – they didn't score enough um, most nights. So um, that's another reason why they lost, obviously. Yeah. Jorge Castillo from the LA Times, Juan Toribio from MLB.com joining us. Uh, that that uh, subscriber uh, uh, took care of my segue perfectly. So thank you, whoever you are, a subscriber. Uh, the offense was abysmal. I mean, I, I'm just going to say that because I, this offense is way more capable than than what it showed. And I, I mean, these two dudes will tell you, I, I was an advocate of letting Cody Bellinger go. Let let the dude go. Like, don't don't you know do the kid glove thing like we talked about a second ago with Julio. Let him go. And obviously he was, you know, he, he tied it up, did the thing there. Uh, what, what, what do you think was up with the inconsistencies with the offense? Cause I, for the life of me, I couldn't stick, you know, you know, really anything to it. And it, you know, and I, I don't know if you guys did, but it, it's one of those things where it just was speaking of uncharacteristic, this Dodgers offense was incredibly uncharacteristic throughout the postseason, And it, it still doesn't make any damn sense to me if I'm honest. Yeah. I mean, I- Honestly, to be completely, I think I was more down on the offense throughout the whole season than I think most people were. I mean, I think maybe I'm being super critical, but I think obviously they led the league, in, they led the National League in runs. But a lot of their damage, if you look at it, came against some pretty bad teams. Uh, I think throughout the year, you would, you would see a 22 spot, a nine spot, and then they would go like four games in a row where it was like two, three, one, four. Um, and for a team with that, with those names, when, they're, when they were all healthy, uh, it, that didn't make much sense to me. Uh, I, if we're being completely honest, I, I, maybe Jorge disagrees here, but like I, I didn't, I wasn't that high on them. And then you take Max Muncie out, who was like the one consistent guy uh, throughout the whole year. You know, everyone had got got hot and cold throughout the season. And then in the second half, Chris Taylor wasn't wasn't producing it the, the way he he did in the first half. Justin Turner didn't produce the same way he did. Uh, and maybe they, those guys just wore wore down. I mean, Justin Turner's never had a postseason this bad. You know, he's also 36, 37 years old now. Like, you know, maybe that was maybe that was a, the cost that they paid for him having to play so many games because, like Jorge said, they didn't have the depth that they once did. You know, Edwin Rios was supposed to be the, the third baseman who kind of, you know, saved Justin Turner some some days, some gave him some days off. 
that wasn't available because he went down for the year and they didn't have anyone behind him. You know, Corey Seager went down for a couple of months. It took him a little while to find it. And then in the postseason, you know, they faced some really good pitching. I think Adam Wainwright, the Giants for five games. And that Braves, that Braves team is pretty good. I think we kind of underestimated how good they were. They had those three starters, obviously. And their bullpen was really good. Like Tyler Matzek, like, I'm not going to lie. I had no idea who he was. <laughs> Dude, that guy's insane. That guy's incredible. He's like throwing 98, 99 and nasty slider. Like, so there is some credit to be had to the Braves pitching staff and, and the Giants pitching staff. But they were inconsistent all year. I think that was, that was a big thing. I, I can't remember how many times I wrote about how inconsistent the, the offense was. Like they scored like two runs against the Pirates one game. And like, you're like, why? Like, how are they scoring two runs against the Pirates? Like, I know it's baseball and anything can happen, but in a three game set, you score seven runs against the Pirates and you're like, okay, this is kind of weird. Um, so maybe that was me being a little bit too critical, but I think that kind of got exposed a little bit in the postseason. And then obviously losing guys didn't help. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean I'm with you uh, 100%. Like this team, if you watch them every single day, um, if you were in like honed in, if you didn't weren't looking at the surface numbers and league leaders and whatever, you notice that this team was just for eight innings at a time wouldn't score runs out of nowhere, like um, multiple times a week. Like they go, they score three runs one inning, then four in the next, and they wouldn't score for 12 innings. Like that's just how it, how it was. And the regular season, again, the two, two things, the regular season you're facing not elite pitching all the time, right? So when you get to the postseason, you're facing the best teams, which usually means the best pitching, right? So that's one factor. The other factor is you got game plans, right? These teams are honed in on your hitters. Um, so it's even harder during the postseason to hit when these guys are attacking your weak spots constantly. They're, they're they they know the game plan. They see you every day. They see you where you're struggling against. So when you're going in the regular season, you're bouncing from you know team to team, city to city. It's different. Now this team was doing it during the regular season. Now you, you, you can talk about you mentioned Corey Seager being hurt. Mookie Betts was hurt for almost the entire year with the hip thing. He wouldn't they wouldn't talk about it till he got a second shot in like whatever August September. Um, Cody Bellinger um, broken fibula was coming off the major shoulder surgery, had another little hamstring or groin thing or whatever. Um, they had guys in and out of the lineup and guys playing hurt. And then you mentioned Chris Taylor wearing down, Justin Turner. So it was kind of the depth. It was kind of just a bunch of things going on at once. But ultimately, this offense was never very consistent to begin with. Um, and that gets magnified to the nth degree in the postseason when you're playing against the best pitching. Um, and to be honest, I thought – they were going to win because I thought the Braves pitching was that good. Um, you know, like you mentioned Tyler Matzik. Yeah, dude, like the guy was pitching in like for the Texas Air Hogs or some shit in like two yeah. years ago. You know, like it wasn't like this dude was coming like a, you know, they, they had guys who pitched really well. Who, well, I think a lot of people didn't expect them to pitch that well. And they, now you can say maybe it was, I mean, should Mookie Betts be striking out on three fastballs on the middle in a row in that spot? Probably not, but it happened. So, it's it's a combination of things, um, and I think that's why you see the, the the offense not do what it did. I think people were surprised because they were looking at the run differential and how they beat up on how they scored a bunch of runs. And like if you do what Juan did, you realize they were doing that a lot against bad teams, and they were doing it very consistently. Yeah, and like Jorge said, like I think the game against the Cardinals, like they scored eleven runs in the regular season. They scored eleven runs that first inning, and then everyone like, oh, this is the best offense ever. And then the next day. The offense is nowhere to be found. It's, it's just, it was just kind of like when they, when they were good, they were like historically good. Like 20, that's just ask the Arizona Diamondbacks. But like when they, were, when they weren't going, they just they weren't going for a long period of time. And then they would have that one beginning that would score five runs, and that was it. 
And we saw that a little bit in the postseason. I mean, how many times you know, Corey Seager hits two run home runs in the first inning in back to back games? And that's about all they got. You know, in game four, they was it game three? Yeah, game three, he hits a two run homer, and then they don't score against the Cody Bellinger's three run homer. You know, that was from the first inning all the way to the eighth inning. So for seven innings, they looked kind of clueless. So that happened in game two. In game two, they went six innings. Well. Yeah. With like, Chris Taylor. Yeah. Like, it happened. That's, what, that's what they did. Yeah. Well, and and I said from the get go, I said it when when the postseason started, the Braves are legit. Their pitching is legit, and I just don't think anyone realized it. In part because if you kind of look at the the surface numbers, the yeah. Dodgers won the amount of games they won. The Braves won eighty eight, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So it, obviously the comparison is different, but at the at the same time, different division, different you know d- different gambit of, of stuff they had to deal with because they had their own injury issues as well. That's why they went out and got Jock. That's why they went out and got Eddie Rosario and, and made the moves that they made. And, I mean, we saw it last year. Ian Anderson and Max Fried are legit. And, and I mean, you throw – you. And I am still of the, the school of thought, and I know this is a little dated, especially with what we just talked about. If you have three horses, you can make a run. But you have to rely on your three horses and then go to your pen. And that's what they did. And like you said a little bit ago, the Dodgers just got a little too cute. Now we're sitting here talking about this, and, and here we are. I – I had a question for, for both of you because you guys saw it every day. What happened to Trey Turner? Because I'm still waiting for the real Trey Turner to stand up in the postseason. Uh, what, what what do you guys think happened with him? <laughs> I I wish I knew, man. Like I, At the end of the regular season, I, I, I kept thinking, like, this guy's going to kill it in the postseason. I mean, he was like the best player in baseball for the last two weeks of the season. Um, and then the postseason started, and like, like Jorge said, teams could just game plan for you. Uh, you know, I think Will Smith didn't see a fastball after like game one. Like they were like, all right, you can hit the fastball, now you won't see another one. Try and hit a curveball. And I think Trey Turner got the team saw that he wasn't he wasn't willing to take a walk, and they weren't throwing him strikes. And they were like, all right, you can walk, or, or you swing at these balls. And he was like, I, I guess I'll swing at balls. Um, I think that you know, once hitting's like that, man. Like when you go 0 for seven, 0 for eight, or whatever. It just starts snowballing. You feel like you have to get a hit. And a lot of the times, too, like you see a guy like Max Muncy go down, Justin Turner go down, and you feel like you have to do a little bit more than you probably have to. Uh, and that might have hurt my – to be honest, I, I really have – I don't really have a good answer to it. Uh, but he ref, kind of refused to take walks. And, you know, he's a free – he's always been a free swinger. That's, that's what makes him so good. Uh, but at some point, you probably have to start swinging at strikes, and he didn't do that all postseason. Yeah, I, I think uh, we got into into this a little bit with Dave Roberts, one of those pregame scrum things. It's Some guys are really good in October, and some guys, for some whatever reason, are not. Uh, um, Jock Peterson, obviously. Geek, we saw what he was doing. Um, Eddie Rosario, his brief playoff He's career. He's starting a bunch of Puerto Rican guys. But yeah, know. you know, that's, that's the truth. They, they show up in the postseason. Maybe, maybe that's the answer. Um <laughs> but Trey, man, like Juan mentioned, I'm looking at his numbers right now. I just, he walked once in <laughs> this, these playoffs, and that was in the last game. Yeah. Um, and in DC, he wasn't much of a playoff performer either. And, you know, if you remember the 19, that was Rendon and Soto, you know, Adam Eaton, Howard, Howie Kendrick, those guys are sort of carrying the team. Like some guys, they step up in October for whatever reason. For some reason, Howie Kendrick was amazing in October in 2019, right? A guy who's a good player which is not like hits another level in the, in the in that postseason um sometimes you just get hot um for whatever reason game planning uh pressure you know guys new new surroundings maybe he feels like he has to like 
show out for his new teammates and whatever. I don't know. I don't know what the reason is, but some guys do really well in the postseason. Other guys don't. And I think the Dodgers, they missed a couple guys who've been really good in the postseason. It's, it's, it's actually interesting because Cody Bellinger is a guy. I think he had one postseason where he wasn't very good. Last year, it wasn't too great, but he still had like, he comes up with big hits, like pretty consistently in the postseason, as consistently as you can get right in a postseason, a small sample size. But he did it last year in game seven of the CS. And then this year, I'll see with that home run. And for some reason, he became a guy who was shortening his swing and, cho- you know, choking up and going the other way. It was a completely different hitter. And some guys just do that stuff, man. And they're good in October. And I think other guys sometimes aren't. And maybe, maybe Trey Turner next year becomes a, figures it out. Maybe he does something different. You know, we saw A.J. Pollock struggle early a lot in this postseason, in the last couple postseasons, and he kind of figured it out towards the end. Maybe maybe he unlocked something there, too. So I think the answer is kind of convoluted. So I think, I think some of it has to do with, like, actually like baseball, like, all on the field, like, the game planning for you. you. You're not taking walks. I think some of it's just, like, up here, too, for October. Yeah. I mean, we saw – like, if you look at Chris Taylor's second-half numbers, like, they were awful. Like, he was, like, really bad. I mean, he had the next, the next thing. And then postseason steps starts, and he's like Chris Taylor again. You know, he kind of steps up. Cody Bellinger, like like Corey said, like he just knows how he knows how to find a way to get hits in those situations. Like, how many times did he not go the other way? You know, a shift buster. Uh, he stayed locked in on like Cody Bellinger couldn't hit a fastball up in the zone, and he hits one that's like four inches above the zone <laughs> for a home run. Like, those are those are things that I don't know. Maybe there is something to this this. You know, post and Chris Taylor and Chris Taylor was so bad in the second half that he wasn't a starter to start right. the playoffs. Yeah. Like he was a coming, he was a bench guy. So and he worked, he hits that home run, he enters the game in the wild card game, uh, and hits that home run. Um, I don't think he didn't start yeah, till game two of the DS. Right. So he went two games without starting. So then he was in there every night. So uh, I think there's some something to that. Well, and and as we kind of start to look ahead. I'm kind of here, curious to hear your takes because both of you guys have told us about some of the progress, if you will, that Gavin Lux was making, but also the decline that he made. And there, you know, there, as, as Juan said in his Dodgers beat thing uh, on his Twitter, uh, if you haven't checked it out, go check it out. Um, this is probably the most important Dodgers offseason in, in a decade, um, you know, if not a little less, because of not only the free agent guys, but they have to make some pretty important decisions. And, uh, and, and you guys spoke to some of those guys, Chris Taylor, Kenley Jansen, Corey Seager, obviously is, is a big time, uh, decision to be made there. And they obviously last year they made some decisions and, and that's why the jocks and the geekers of the world are no longer here. This year is obviously feeling a little heavier. And, and I agree with, with Jorge's assessment. I don't think they let doc Roberts walk. So I'm, that's not even something I'm even going to touch. What, out of all those guys that we just talked about there, who, who, who do you guys feel is the most important for the Dodgers to retain? And with Gavin Lux, is Gavin Lux going to be that guy at second base? And if he's not, then who is it? It's not Trey Turner because it sounds like Trey Turner is not comfortable at second. So what do they do there? Sorry, you can take it first. <laughs> Whoever wants to take I, uh, it first, that, that's uh, open. I let the vet, the veteran go. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, they, they need a starting pitcher. To con- they, they need a frontline starter. So my, my answer would probably be Max Scherzer uh, um, is the most important guy to bring back just because, yeah, you can make the argument, hey, he show up in October or whatever. He's, I mean, he's 37. 
um, you need to get to October 1st, right? So if you don't have Trevor Bauer next year, which is the assumption I think everybody's working under, um, you don't have Trevor Bauer, you don't have Max Scherzer, you have Julio Diaz and Walker Buehler, uh, Tony, I mean, if you're, Kershaw probably won't be ready for the start of the season. That's kind of this another assumption that I'm making. Um, if you bring him back, he'll be a number three eventually. Who's your number four? So, I mean, they have guys coming up, you know, Pepio. They got they got guys coming up. But I think you need a front line. The reason why they went out and got Trevor Bauer to begin with is the reason why you need him, you know, to bring back Max Scherzer because you want to solidify the top, top end of your rotation, have a guy who's going to get the ball every fifth day, give you six innings, seven innings, and, and shove and do well. Um, that's That's who I would say is the most important, I think. Um, cause someone like that is the hardest to get, uh, at this point, you know, I, Corey Seager, obviously is a great hitter and that's probably my number two in, in this sort of, in this thing, but he's more getting a shortstop or a second baseman. So, cause Trey Turner will move the short is probably easier than getting a frontline starter like Max Scherzer. Yeah, I think I have to agree. I mean, you can go into the season with those two guys, like, like Jorge said, and then you bring up bad Kershaw. Uh, he won't be ready. He might not be ready for the start of the season. And then we don't know what, like when he'll be ready, how ready he'll be. If is he going to get hurt again? I mean, that's, that's just kind of the reality with him at this point. So, you know, there's, there's that aspect of it as well. So yeah, it, it has to be sure. Then it's going to be interesting. I mean, you, you're, you're going to have to pay him a pretty good amount of money because uh, there are going to be a lot of teams interested in him. Uh, and the more you pay for one guy, the less of a chance you have to keeping other guys. I mean, that's just kind of the, I think Walker Buehler said it best, like after the game, he's like, we want to keep everyone, but the reality of it is that we're not going to be able to keep everyone. Uh, so they're going to have to make some tough decisions there. They're going to have to prioritize who they want. You know, Corey Seager, obviously is really good. Maybe he slides over to third base at some point in his career that gives, but if you pay him, you know, the 300, whatever it is that he's going to get, he's going to get a ton of money. You have to pay, you have to pay Trey Turner next off season. You have to pay Walker Buehler next off season. Uh, so there's a, it's like a two-year kind of dilemma that they have of who do they want to keep and, and how much money they're, they're kind of willing to pay. I mean, obviously they have a lot of money. They showed that this year, but $267 million for the next five years, that seems kind of aggressive. I'll say this. The Dodgers can afford it if they want to. They could. They money. Uh, yeah, 50,000 people every day at the stadium. That TV deal is crazy. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm not in Tampa Bay anymore. I gotta remember. But they're not going to. <laughs> but I'm, I'm with Juan. I'm with Juan. <laughs> They're, they're not going to, though. So um, That's a lot of money. That's a lot of luxury tax. And we don't even know the rules of the game. Yeah, we don't know the right. rules of the game. December 2nd, everything, everything changes. Starts. Yeah. And, and I assume you guys are also working under the assumption that there is a work stoppage coming. Like, we're not going to sit here and pretend like everything's going to be all hunky-dory, right? Yeah. yeah I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but I, I guess so. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah <laughs> I'll say it for him. Yeah, it's coming. So Yeah. Then, and that, yeah, and, and I mean, you know, just to you know, to to add another, you know, uh, wrench in the uh, in the gears of everything. It's gonna as be well. crazy. Though. It's gonna be crazy. I oh mean, yeah, there's a lot of things going on. I mean, Ken Lee, like, there's it, like on the baseball side and emotionally, like, people are gonna be devastated seeing Ken Lee Jansen in, in another uniform, like Clayton Kershaw if he wears a, a Ranger uniform. Like, so it's it's not just the the talent that are, they might be losing. It's also just kind of the names that are right. like Chris Taylor. I mean, well, an era, an era, really. Because, I mean, Kenley and Kershaw have been, you know, kind of staples of this team for the, you know, the better part of 10 years. And that could be going away. So, yeah, it's going to be, especially if you see a Kershaw on a Rangers uniform, that's going to be super weird. 
Yeah. Well, another, and I kind of another thing, and Jorge can kind of back, back me up here. Trevor Bowers, like, what's that situation going to be like? Do, do you have to pay him that thirty-five million or whatever it is that he's owed? I mean, there's, there's so many. I, I, I you know, I, I've always wanted to be a GM when I was growing up. I probably don't want to be a, a GM right now. <laughs> well, and is it fair to also assume that that clubhouse would not welcome Trevor Bauer with open arms again? I think there were a few guys in there for sure that didn't want him back. I, I don't know if they spoke for everybody, but um, there's definitely a few guys in there that didn't want him back. Now, the Trevor Bauer thing's fascinating because um, if, it all depends on timing, right? So if Major League Baseball, the day after the World Series, says Trevor Bauer is suspended for 81 games, 162 games, 40 games, seven games, whatever, they, I think it's going to be a lot of games, but – that allows the Dodgers to figure out, okay, he's not going to get paid. That's off the books. Whatever X amount of money is off the books, now we can operate knowing this. Um, the sooner the better. Major League Baseball will be doing them a huge favor if they announce that, you know, immediately. Now, if they wait to announce it, the Dodgers kind of have to – maybe the Dodgers know back channels. You kind of, they, they kind of know, hey, we they know it's going to be between this amount of games and this amount of games, and they can kind of operate knowing that. But, you know, it, the sooner the better for them knowing because um, – as, as Juan said, these guys are all going to cost a lot of money, um, a lot of uncertainty going forward, and and just knowing that from the from the jump would help. Yeah, and dude, Chris Taylor, like every home run he hit, like I'm sure he's just <laughs> got a bunch of money bags going up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, can you imagine hitting three home runs on your contract year? Like, you're just like, now I'm about to be super rich. <laughs> yeah, for real. Hey, guys, uh, so I don't know about you guys, but to me it seems – those first two games were very winnable games. You, I mean, they went one for eight with runners in scoring position in game one. Game two, they had a lead into the eighth inning. They could have very easily won that series or forced a game seven. Um, but yet it seems like this is the end. I mean, I, 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 this is a team that won 106 games. I have to remind myself they won 106 games. They had all those injuries. And to be fair, I don't blame the loss on the injuries because the Braves had a lot of injuries too. And if the Braves came in healthy, I mean, they had the Dodgers down three, one last year. So yeah, I agree with you that maybe we were sleeping on the Braves a little too much, but it does feel like I, I it does feel like doom and gloom because we're going to lose all those people. Who are we going to replace them with? We don't have the farm system up and ready. I, the the Trevor Bauer situation, it, it just feels like this organization is at a crossroads because if they do let guys like Jansen walk, they let guys like Kershaw walk. If Bauer ends up coming back, now I know morality in sports is not important. Nobody cares. But you have Bauer come back into that dugout because you need pitching. And then you lose Kershaw. You lose the guys like Taylor. You lose all that stuff. Has the rest of the league caught up with the Dodgers? Is this like the end? Because the Giants are going to have a lot of money to spend. And Farhan knows what he's doing. And the show pods, I think the show pods, if they're healthy next year, they're going to be right up there again. It, it, I mean, what do you guys expect from the Dodgers going forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily say the end. I mean, because even if they don't bring any, any of those guys back, like they still have Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, uh, Max Muncy. Like they still have a really good team. Um, I think they're definitely at a crossroads. I mean, they, they do have some pitching coming up, you know, the Ryan Pepe's of the world, what Andre Jackson. 
But those you can't really depend on those guys to keep you at the same pace that a Max Scherzer or Clayton Kershaw. Uh, you know, some of those guys. Like, who's Tony Gonson? Like, what Tony Gonson are they going to get next year? Uh, Dustin May is probably out for the year with, with Tommy John. So, you know, you have some guys missing. And, and, and like you said, the farm system, they have a lot of really good players. A lot of them are in single A, double A. You know, the triple A, like Jorge said at the beginning of the show, like, that's their debt there is kind of what lost them a lot of games late, 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 late in the season. Uh, you know, Sheldon Noisy didn't pan out. The, the, well, I guess we'll find out next year, but he hasn't panned out the way they hoped. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a crucial offseason. I mean, there's no way, there's no way around it. I, like you said, the Giants, uh, Farhan knows what he's doing. The Padres are really talented. You know, who knows what, what they kind of do with the manager and all that stuff. But they're, I, I can't imagine that they're, they're going to be a 500 team again next year. Uh, so it's going to be important. I don't, I, I don't know. They, they might be a World Series favorite. Like we'll, we'll see who they bring back, or they could be a, a second place team for the next two to three years. I mean, we really don't know. But they, I mean, the talent level on the team, especially in the lineup, is still going to be there. You know, Corey. Maybe if they lose Corey Seager, that'd be a blow. Um, maybe Gavin Lux takes another step. There's a lot of question marks, and I think that's kind of the scary part for a lot of people. It's like, hey, don't- Quan, let, let me ask you real quick. Going back to Corey Seager, yeah. does an elite shortstop catch that ball at the end of game two in the ninth? I mean, that was a shot. I know it was a shot, but does an elite shortstop, defensive shortstop, catch that ball and force extra innings? Um, yeah, I think so. I think, I think, uh, I mean, Corey Seager's backhand, I think Corey tweeted this, like, it, it cost him a bunch of games. It cost him a lot of opportunities. I, and, and, you know, that was, that seemed to be his go-to move going to the backhand uh, instead of getting in front of the ball, even though that was a rocket. But yeah, probably. I mean, man, it's a, I, I play I mean, it was a shot. I mean, I, I, mean, it was a shot. I play second base for a reason. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I mean, that, that, that ball was hit hard. I, I, I think the one that was even worse was the one that's actually kind of a play he should have made. I think it was in game four. Game, game three, though. The... Game three? The transfer? Is it that no, one? No, game three. There was a backhand in game three. Uh, the oh, one in the 5.5 hole. Damn. Yeah. Like, that one to me was worse. Um, you know, and if they didn't, Cody Bellinger doesn't have home run, I think we look back at that one and it's a, it's a huge deal. Um, he did it in Chicago a couple of times back in like April, May, whenever that was at Wrigley. Like, he, he just wasn't making he got, I think he got better when he came back from the injury. But uh he's not an elite. He, he he's a when it comes to his forehand, like forehand, like charging the ball, you know, routine plays, he's pretty good at it. But he's not a dude who's gonna like have super range and he's not an elite, elite guy. Um he's an elite hitter, elite, elite hitter. So it kind of makes him a positive and you, know, you do the whole balancing act thing. But um, he, Corey Seager is never like I think the Dodgers want to tell you, hey, yeah, he's look at the numbers. It's like, yeah, he gets the when he gets to the ball, he usually makes the play. But he's not like a super elite. He's not a Andrelton Simmons over there or whatever, you know. So, so I mean, you, I think Jorge, let me let, let me I ask you this, Jorge. If if the CBA gets dealt with and the national and the DH becomes uh, available in both leagues, do the Dodgers go? All right, we'll give you the money, but you got to move the third, or it doesn't matter because the Yankees are going to overpay him to play shortstop. I don't even think it's about the just the Yankees. It's the Angels. It's the Rangers. It's the Cardinals. It, there's a lot of competition out there to get him. Um, did I mention the Rangers? The Texas? Yeah, it, there's gonna be a lot of competition out there. It's not gonna be just one team up uh, being the Dodgers. Um, and I'm sure those teams are gonna tell him, "Hey, you, you you're gonna play shortstop here." 
Whereas the Dodgers, I mean, will they be honest with him? I don't know. Will they tell him? He doesn't want to play third, right? He views himself as a shortstop. Yeah, he's always said that, which is fine. If you you want that, you know, a guy to be like that. Hey, like I'm a shortstop. That's like saying I'm the quarterback and not a wide receiver. Like some of these dudes want people to move, whatever, right? So, but does Trey Turner want to play another year at second base on his, in his walk year? I'm going to assume no. Um, he thinks he's a shortstop too, right? So um, you got to figure that out if it were to happen. Um, but you mentioned the DH thing. I think the DH, the Dodgers will be great. They'll greatly benefit from the DH if it comes to the National League in whatever capacity. Just because I think, you know, Justin Turner, obviously, is the candidate, Max Muncy. Um, even a guy like, you know, Albert Pujols. Um, you have him DH against a lefty. That's, you know, most nights, that's more than good enough. So uh, the DH will be another interesting thing to look at when it comes from the, from the Dodgers vantage point. A couple more minutes with Juan Toribio and Jorge Castillo, uh, Juan uh, of MLB.com, Jorge of uh, LA Times, respectively. I, I, I do have one question for you guys. So if, let's say Corey Seager ends up in, we'll just go with, with Texas. Let's say he ends up in Texas. Who do you think the Dodgers aggressively go after there? My theory is Trevor Stewart. That's why I think they go after because he's probably going to be the least expensive out of all those guys, but I think he's the better of the, the three. I think Carlos Correa is kind of a liability. Um, and, uh, uh, and Seager, as you just mentioned, you know, he has his liabilities as well, but they won't ever come out and publicly say that. So that's my theory. But what say you guys to? I think Trey, Trey Turner. <laughs> yeah. I, I think if, if they lose Seager, like it's, it's kind of interesting. Cause if, if the Dodgers lose Seager, like the biggest benefit, the, the guy that benefits the most, is probably Trey Turner. Cause the, there's no way the Dodgers are going to try and lose both. Like if you lose one, you have to keep the other one. Uh, so I think Trey Turner, if, if Corey Seager walks, they'll try and, you know, extend him to try and sign him in the off next off season or whatever. I think, but I think if they lose Seager, I think they, you know, Trey Turner slides over to shortstop. Trey Turner's a really good shortstop. He's a, be- he's a better shortstop than Corey Seager is. He's defensively better than Corey for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, defensively, I don't even think that's a question. So I think, you know, he just slides over there and then figure out, what, you know, Lux, you know, somebody else. Maybe they, you go after a second baseman. But yeah, I don't, I don't think they go after a shortstop. And then speaking of money bags, what happens with Chris Taylor? <laughs> I don't know. That is going to get paid. That's yeah. He's well. I mean, I tweeted it after uh, when he hit that bomb at the end of the thing. Pay Corey Taylor or Corey uh, Corey or fuck Chris, Chris Taylor, Taylor or whatever he wants. Just pay. Just give him. Just back up the truck to the house. Just give him whatever the hell he wants and just keep him there. Because I, I still think they made a huge mistake in not keeping Kike. But I also understand why Kike left. I get it. He wanted to play every day. Hundred percent get that. Chris Taylor. I mean that you're not going to find another guy like that on the market period, but it's just going to cost you a premium. Yeah. Again, it's just a matter of musical chairs, figuring out what fits where, how much money they have for this, how much money they have for that. Uh, I don't know what budget they're operating under. Maybe, maybe next year they're like, Hey, screw it. We're going to go 300. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. But Chris Taylor probably earned himself maybe a fourth year on a contract <laughs> in the postseason. Um, he's 31 years old though. So you know, you got to keep that in mind. Um, he's was really good this first half. He's really good in October. Um, but this is not a guy who's like a, you know, all-star every year type of thing. He's a, he's a very good player. Um, but if you look at the numbers that he had this year, the same as Kike Hernandez, the same. Look, offensively, they were the same people. Um, so in Kike got two years, 14 mil. So how much are you going to pay for, for Chris Taylor? Um and both guys step up in October. So it's kind of like very even. 
when you think about that. So I think Chris Taylor will get more than Kike, but I don't think it's going to be some crazy. I don't think the guy's going to get like 20 mil a year or anything like that. Um, no, no. I think he's like a 15 a year guy. And yeah. I mean, that's still I, for, for that role. That's still a, a great that's double. That's double Kike. Who's younger. Yeah, so, that's you what know. I was going to say is for someone like that, it's a little more. So it, it's just, you know, it's going to be interesting. I, I think we're kind of under, I, it's hard for me to sort of evaluate the marketplace when we don't even know what the, if there's going to be a floor, if there's going to be a ceiling, if there's going to be a hard cap, if there's going to be whatever, we don't know. So how, how different a luxury tax would look, um, it's just hard to say. But yeah, I think he made himself some money this, this postseason. Um, you know, he's a good player. So I guess we'll see. And last question, Kenley Jansen. I, I, this one, I, I even have, have been kind of going back and forth. If he thinks he's going to come back at like that 20 number or even 16 or 15, whatever, I, I don't think the Dodgers will bring him back. Am I wrong in assuming that? No, no. So yeah. what do you, what do you guys think happens there? Well, if he wants to come back at a smaller number, then come back. Um, I just wonder if some other team out there is going to give him, a nice deal because they saw what he did this year and see, hey, this guy could be a, a closer still and an elite closer, and they're going to give him like quote unquote elite closer money. Um, I, I don't see the Dodgers give him, him that sort of elite money. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there are, there are certain teams. I think everyone complains about not having, you know, a closer when they don't have an elite closer. Uh, like a Marlins team, like, I'm, like the Marlins would love to have Kelly Jansen, uh, you know, team like that, a younger team kind of solidifies that that ninth inning role so i think i think there's definitely going to be teams that are willing to pay ken a lot of money and like his resurgence this year was great for the dodgers but it was also like oh, damn he might have pitched too well for them to keep him like some someone's gonna someone's gonna try and, and pay him a lot of money i think um but like we said it's, it's hard to know what what's gonna happen that like we we don't know if there's a floor even some of these you know lower level teams that don't like to spend money throw money at a closer just because like why not you have to spend money so it's going to be i don't know it's, it's tough I, I i do think i i, I don't think kenley Jansen's is coming back that's just what, what i think i think the dodgers they look at their situation they got relievers they got guys coming up who they think of you know fill those holes um i i, I don't see them throwing you know 15 mil a year 12 at kenley jansen i just don't see that yeah. In another offseason, if they didn't have seven other free agents, maybe. Right. Uh, and same, and I assume the same can be said of a 133-year-old Joseph William Kelly Jr., yes? And Mariachi's not coming back? They're not picking up that option because it's, it's kind of a heavy I, option. No, they're not picking up the option, but, you know, if he wants to come back at a much smaller number, that, that could work too. I mean, he's from the area. Maybe he loves playing here. Same thing with Kenley. You know, Kenley might go to them and be like, hey, man, well, I'll, I'll pitch for what X amount of money. Like, I'll a hometown discount. I love it here. I can't imagine not living in Los Angeles. I've been here for so long. Maybe he does that. Maybe. I, I, I don't know. I haven't talked. He hasn't told me that. So, um, but that could happen. I, I just don't see him getting market value, quote unquote, for what, you know, his numbers say he is here in Los Angeles. Well, and then again, you throw the uncertainty of what's about to happen that we can't officially confirm, but the stoppage is it's who knows what's going to happen. I mean, it, like you guys said, there might even be a cap. Who the hell knows? But I mean, th this year was crazy. It was the, the, the craziest year because it was, you know, as a was it Bill Plaschke said, this is the greatest team ever. To yeah. uh, we yeah. are now talking about an NLCS exit and kind of, you know, discussing a crossroads. And so it's going to be a super interesting offseason. I'm 
curious to see how it goes, but there's not really going to be any movement for a minute. So that's why we wanted to bring the insiders, Jorge Castillo of the LA Times, Juan Toribio of MLB.com, to give us a little bit of insight to kind of see what's going on. Gentlemen, we really appreciate the... Uh, hey, before we go, I got, I got to ask both of them something real quick. Last sure. one, guys. There was a picture that was posted of all the Latinos covering uh, the playoffs in the press box. And I, it was so great to see that because, you know, represent, as they say, representation matters. I want to ask you guys, I don't know if you guys got a chance to see it, but after game five of the NLCS, Pedro Martinez did an interview with, with El Tio. And well, it was post-game interview. Someone else was asking him a question. Then Pedro came in there and they were speaking Spanish for a good, you know, they let it go. They let it run. And you felt all that Dominican love. And it was something that caught me by surprise that it wasn't a bigger deal. When they came out of that interview, Bob Costas says, well, as you guys know, we, we have dual coverage with Telemundo. Telemundo is not, to my understanding, is not showing the playoffs. And I'm not sitting here before everybody freaks out. I'm not calling Bob Costas a racist. You, you know, he is in my fight club. But do you guys feel like there is a resistance to letting these guys speak in their own language? Because you could feel that deal was very comfortable speaking in Spanish to Petey. And I, uh, Alana Rizzo tries to learn Spanish so she can interview these guys. Why is there such a resistance to letting these guys just speak in their native language? I, I mean, outside of the United States, every other country speaks more than one language. Uh, I'll say this. I didn't know. I just literally just tweeted, uh, looked this up on Twitter, and I did not know about this interview. Yeah, neither did I. I might get, <laughs> I might get emotional. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, it was a great interview. I just felt like Costas kind of ruined it. By me. I know Costas was trying to be funny, but to me, it came off as I don't understand what he's saying. Can someone translate for me? Well, I'll say this. Like, these guys, right, you have the rights to these games. And you do the interviews because you want your your customer base, your consumers, your viewers to watch you and listen to you. Um, and let's be frank, most of the people watching TBS on no English, understand English, and know only English. So I think what they're trying to you know, Bob Costas is probably who's a, who I have problems with. But in this instance, it's like he he was probably just saying, you know, it was a joke about how most people, frankly, don't understand. Like now, maybe ten percent. 20% of the viewership understood that. Um, but if you're a TV, if you're a TBS, you want hundred percent of your people or, or 90% to understand um, what was going on there. But I, actually, I, I'll watch this interview after you guys after we're done here. I, I didn't see it, uh, but it's cool to see, man. Okay. When it comes That's to, why I'm, I'm surprised that it didn't get more attention because it was a great moment. You felt PD was happy talking to him in Spanish and, and deal was great you know, talking to them in Spanish and it was fantastic to hear them. I would love to see that from the Asian players. Yeah. You know, we can get a translation of that later on. We don't exactly. need to know right now what they're saying. Yeah. Exactly. That's your hundred percent. I agree with you. That's cool to see, you know, it's us. I mean, Juan knows, I mean, Juan's going to cry right now. So <laughs> I, might, I might need a moment after I watch the interview. <laughs> I, I, I think it's like, I mean, I, realistically, I think it comes down to there's this part of being self-conscious about not knowing what's going on. Uh, like, this has been their game for a long time. Uh, and I feel like when, when they don't know what's kind of going on, what's in the loop, 
they freak out a little bit. I think that's that's what it kind of comes down to. Right? And I, it's it's part of the problem. I think, you know, Jorge and I talk about this basically once a week at this point, it feels like, but like, that's just kind of part of the problem. I mean, people, they, you know, I'm, I, you know I'm, some people don't want to give up their game. I get it. Uh, but, you know, it's not their game. It's everyone's game. And there's more and more Latinos in the game, I think. And there's not enough voices. I mean, we're in Los Angeles and well, we have six people in that photo. Uh, right. Yeah. And, Imagine what the rest of the country looks like. You know, I think there's not enough of of Jorge's and myself and and people like that because people don't want to be left out. People don't want to be, you know, that the, speaking in Spanish in those settings is not necessarily like welcomed. You know, in a way, like it's not that it's not welcome, but it's people don't want to people want to know what's going on all the time, and they the the fear of not knowing what's going on or getting beat for a story or whatever trumps not welcoming stuff like that in my it's opinion taboo. i don't know i don't know that for a fact that's just my, my opinion well yeah so do you get in english do you get english speak english in here when you guys are speaking spanish to one another no 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 it's, it's never like that it's never like but it's I, not I never, overt like that it's not overt no it's not it's not like that at all i've never been i've gotten a couple of times hey with the spanish whatever uh kind of joking around but i've never felt like i'm not when I talk, when I see Julio Rios, I talk to him in Spanish. Like, you know, yeah. I'm not going to talk to the guy in English. Like, that's just stupid. Um, but, you know, it's like one of those things where we see MLB Network and we got an American English speaker doing post-game interviews in Spanish um, with broken Spanish. And everyone wants to applaud him on Twitter. I'm like, shit, why don't you just hire a fucking Latino to do it? There you go. There you go. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And, and let the record show this, uh, this episode of this podcast is all Latino right now uh we have an emotional and you know and, and that's uh, it's one of those things where like hey man like that's just a tool i think i i am not i'm not i don't think i'm here just or i don't i don't think one thinks the same thing like that's just a tool that i have right i speak spanish right yeah. um it's not who i am it's not what i am i we, we are more than that right but like when Pedro martinez and and albert pool is like two of the probably the two greatest dominican baseball players I mean, ever Best i mean i don't know all time Juan can argue with me there. <laughs> but like that's cool that's a great moment if i'm tbs you know in the moment you're worried about your viewership but i'm thinking shit this is great like yeah, you know look at these little these two that never happens like i don't even think like tv in dominican republic wishes that would happen i like and to his point like i didn't even know speaking spanish was such a big deal in this job <laughs> like, <what is> <laughs> yeah. you speak spanish and i was like yeah and they're like oh that's awesome that's huge and I'm like, is it <laughs> Like I, uh, look, it wasn't lost on me that in the NLCS at Dodger Stadium, you saw mariachi out in the stands and then you cut to Atlanta where you have a bunch of white people doing the tomahawk chop. I mean, that's not lost on me. I get what you're saying, Jorge, but at the same time, I feel like Major League Baseball is a little slow to embracing diversity openly where it's just like, look at your players, man. The majority of your players are Latin. Uh, I mean, it's funny. I probably get in trouble for saying this, but <laughs> the playoff postseason, the pre playoff pregame and postseason TV stuff is blacker than anything on the field. <laughs> like MLB tries so hard, they try so hard when, when it comes to this stuff, and they try it every which way that just doesn't matter. Yeah. Like you just, I don't care. Like you got you got Jimmy Rollins, you know, get used to have Gary Sheffield, David Ortiz, A Rod. 
page or all these blacks and black people like black americans and black latinos and it's like you guys try in every which way is you think i'm gonna i think a black guy's gonna try to or is gonna try to watch a post baseball now because they see a <laughs> post game show guess no, who's on the field you're 100 right though no you're hitting the nail right on the head i mean and then it's just but, but that's it, baseball man baseball yeah. gets it all wrong major league baseball gets it all wrong almost all the time on all these issues they they and not just these types of almost everything <laughs> they get in their own way they are professionals that get <laughs> like, in their own way that's why when they did the minor league stuff where they actually they, they said that teams have to give them housing everyone was applying them partly because they were shocked that they did something that was yeah halfway right you know yeah. but that's just the way it is i i won't ask for uh for juan to follow up because because <laughs> Because I know I know that shield is uh is not going to be nice, but Jorge is 100 right. If if MLB is anything, uh, if they were to be like a movie character of any kind, they're Cheddar Bob. They shoot themselves in the foot all the time over the stupidest things, and it's just like yo, read the room. You know what I mean? And and even with something like this, it's it's it should like Juan said, our Juan, not Juan Turibio, MLB.com, not that guy, Juan Ramirez of the Bleed Loss Podcast. Um, uh. <laughs> They just they just do a fantastic job of getting in their own way, and and not yeah I can't but Jorge we do appreciate your 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 uh, your uh, candor. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Juan's, Juan, Juan, <laughs> an emotional Dominican Juan Toribio I gotta, I gotta Have a moment. I guess some ice cream or something. <laughs> and uh, and Jorge Castillo of the LA Times, a very candid Jorge Castillo guys. We. Uh, we appreciated you guys interacting with us throughout the season and uh, and enjoying us for joining us, excuse me, for this episode. And uh, let's do it again next season, except, uh, you know, hopefully there isn't like a long stoppage. I hope there isn't, but there probably is going to be if we're, if we're being hundred percent honest. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'll say. <laughs> well, thank you guys again. We really appreciate it. And, uh, and thank you guys, the fans for uh, listening to the episodes. Cause if it wasn't for you guys, we wouldn't have, the Jorge Castillos and the Juan Turibios of the world joining us. So we really appreciate it. But on that note, we will shut it down for the season. We will catch you next season. Uh, Stay safe. And we will talk to you in 22. And there you have it. The season finale. It was a banger. It was a good season. All things considered. But here we are. So on that note, we will catch you in 22. We look very much forward to bringing you more content, uh, podcasts, guests, all that good stuff. And, uh, and again, huge thanks to everyone that supported the podcast this uh, this season. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have done all the rad things we did this year. And uh, in my opinion, this is just kind of the tip of the iceberg. So I'm really looking forward to next year. But on that note, please stay safe. Please stay healthy. And we will catch you down the road in 22. Go Dodgers. Bleed blue. We'll talk to you next year. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe and leave a review to the Bleed Lows Podcast. The Bleed Lows Podcast is a Dodgers Beat production. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V 
on YouTube.